Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Peter. We continue our sermon series through the book of 2 Peter. If you would, turn to chapter 2, picking up in verse 12 here in just a minute. You can find that on page 1,396 in the Pew Bible if you want to grab that and read along with me as we stand here in just a few minutes. That's 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 to 22. Last year, about this time, I was introduced to something new, new to me, something I had never participated in or had given much thought to. I was introduced to fantasy football. I was introduced to it by many of the young married husbands that call First Baptist home, and I participated in a league of a First Baptist league that was with 13 other members from last year, of which many are in the room right now, grinning at me. You see, fantasy football is a game where you draft players and score points upon a player's actual performance on the field. So it's not real sports, it's we're benefiting through a game but what they actually do on the field. The better the player performs, the better your team scores, and the more you win your games, which are games that are playing against your friends in the league or other people in the church. You're in a league, and there are winners, and there are losers. I did not win the league last year, but I had a great first year experience. I had a lot of fun, and I found myself drawn more into it, and I'm already looking forward to next year, which kicks off soon. I'm speaking to my uh, league manager here. It's got to kick off soon. Uh, That next year is approaching, and I hope that they'll desire to let me play with them once again. And I know that what I'm getting ready to say in the next few minutes is going to do nothing but bring grief into my life, but I'm okay with that because, let me give you a little insight into me as if you needed a little bit more. None of this will surprise you. I want to get better at it because I want to win. Did you know that there's a whole fantasy football universe out there? There are websites, podcasts, articles, rankings, projections, projections like who will break out this year, and projections like who's going to regress this year, tips and strategies on drafting. There are many different drafting strategies and formulas. And did you know this? Get this. There's even a mock draft where you get to go out there into the computer and you get to pretend as though you're drafting a real team, a mock draft, practice building teams. And church, I just need to tell you, I'm in. Hook, line, and sinker. I am into this fantasy football thing. I just hope they'll let me play again. If not, I'm probably going to create a league of my own. And if I create a league of my own, I'm winning. But I'm in hook, line, and sinker because what I have found is the allure, catch that word, of seeking to build the best team. The hope of finding that player that no one else will value. The promise of performance. The hope of a player rebounding from a tough year. And I've done some mock drafts, actually quite a few of them. The mock draft has turned into my daily game. Do you guys have a game that you do on your phone? I play Wordle every day. 
Now, that, you get to play that once a day. I play Wordle. If you're going, what's Wordle? See me or Angela after church, and we'll tell you all about it. But mock drafting has become my daily game. I allow myself to do it at least once a day. And these guys are looking at me going, you're mock drafting in June. Yeah, I am. And Thursday, just before I sat down to write this sermon, I drafted my best team ever. If I could figure out how to allow this fantasy football league to let me keep these guys, I think I could win everything. And I have allowed through my learning that there are lots of experts out there, they believe, on fantasy football. And I've allowed them to impact how I am viewing the game. But I've also come to recognize that wherever there are experts, there are people who disagree with experts, many times vehemently disagreeing. So in the end, church, you have to be careful who you listen to. And you will choose to listen to somebody. Jeff, are we still talking about fantasy football? Yeah and no. Everybody will choose to listen to somebody in the end of something that you invest your life in. So there's a great spiritual lesson right there for us. And it's with that backdrop that I want to ask you to stand with me as we read from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 12 to 22. We're going to finish this chapter today. 2 Peter chapter 2, picking up at verse 12, says, But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to a carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever." For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning." For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returned to its own vomit and a sow having washed to wallowing in the mire. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. I know today's call to action has notes on the back. Perhaps there are going to be some things that you're going to want to write down. So I just want to remind you of that opportunity. Peter continues in chapter 2 to teach us about the false teachers within the church. This is something that Peter is not letting go of. So as I sat down on Monday and 
I did a Bible study of these verses that we just read. And I did it on a personal level. I think until I can read and understand and apply the Scripture to my life individually, it's very difficult for me to be able to effectively share anything with you, the church. And I love it. When I sit down with my Bible, actually I didn't sit down, I stood up. I was in my office area where I've got my four foot by eight foot whiteboard and my dry erase markers. And so that's my way of doing it. But I I was doing this Bible study, but I love it when you grab God's Word with the intention of knowing God's Word and the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to help you understand God's Word, jumps in and you're in this moment of studying God's Word and the Spirit just begins to reveal things. And I just enjoyed doing this Bible study on a personal level. And I would encourage you, church, to regularly plan to sit down with God's Word, with paper and pen or your own four-foot-by-eight-foot whiteboard, and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and to teach you. And so this morning, that Bible study that I did on Monday morning became the springboard for these verses that I'm going to share with you from this. So I just want to make just a few general points moving all over this Scripture here. Point one. The gospel, when we read these verses, the gospel has been shared. The gospel has been shared. These false teachers are not unknowing of the truth of the gospel. Look at verse 20. It says that they have had the opportunity to escape the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That verse says that they know the truth. They've heard the gospel. Look at verse 21. It said it would have been better for them, quote, not to have known the way of righteousness. For somebody to say it would have been better had you not known that, that is them saying, I know that you know that. So they know the truth. And look at verse 15. For they, that would be the false teachers, have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Church, these false teachers in the church that Peter continues to teach us about, or in the world, they are not uninformed people. These people fully have heard the truth and have chosen to reject the truth for personal gain. You and I likely believe that their draft strategy for life is a mistake. We know the truth. And for people who do not believe the truth, who reject the gospel, who do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we would go, that is not a good foundation for you to build your life on. We would tell that they are not uninformed people. Or do you disagree with them? You see, I'm hopeful that you can say today that you have heard the gospel and that you have chosen to live your life committed and yielded to that gospel through faith in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who lived for us, who died for us, who shed His blood for us, who was buried for us, who was resurrected on the third day that we might have life. You see, there are many in this world that profess a gospel that is different than that. But if you're making notes, write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 says this. Paul is writing, 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Church, that is the gospel. That is the gospel that I pray that you have heard, that you have chosen by faith to believe in and allow your life to be lived. But that is also the very gospel that false teachers reject. And if you stay around them long enough, you will find that they will begin to dismantle that gospel because they are not uninformed. You see, the gospel has been shared. That's what I saw in Bible study. The point, second point is the false teachers do not understand. They speak evil of what they do not understand, and they show no life change. Look with me at verse 12. It says they speak evil of things they do not understand. This word needs to be understood as they speak evil against things they do not choose to believe. It's not that they are ignorant not understanding, is that they have heard it, understood it, and go, nope, that's not what I'm going to believe. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago that false teachers are known more for what they deny than for what they affirm. But look at verse 13. Not only do they speak evil, they do evil. Verse 13 says they carouse in the daytime. You know, it's interesting. Dark has always been assimilated to sin and, and hiding but they have become so entrenched in their sin life that they don't care what time of day it is, day or night. They are carousing, Scripture says, in the daytime. They have now become arrogant and overconfident in their own life choices. Verse 14 goes on to say that they have eyes full of adultery. Their every desire is intended to meet their personal cravings, their personal desires. Verse 14 goes on and tells us a little bit more about them. They cannot cease from sin. And I started thinking about this. I'm going, well, these guys just continue to make bad choices after bad choices after bad choices. But do you know, church, that without the truth, the gospel, without repentance, without salvation by faith, without the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, no one can cease from sin? So when you reject the gospel, as false teachers have, they are committing themselves to a life of sin because they have no ability. So it's not like they're just choosing every day to be sinful. It has become a habitual way of life. They don't know any other way to act. Because verse 14 goes on, it says, For they have a heart trained in covetousness. Have you heard the statement, practice makes perfect? That's why I'm mock draft. Because, Douglas, I just need to be perfect on one night. You haven't told me when that night is yet, but you, you need to let me know that, okay? But you know what they're doing? Scripture teaches us right here that their practice is making them imperfect. They are now becoming 
ingrained in the way that they live. Have you known somebody that there's nothing about them except sin? They just cannot help it. Now, I've talked with people for many, many years that get caught up in a cycle of addiction or a cycle of challenge. And the reality is that until they come to know Jesus Christ and the freedom that he provides, they'll not be able to get out because our lives become trained in sin like this. Verse 19 says that it's become such a bad thing that they are slaves to corruption and caught in bondage. Their rejection of the truth has actually stripped them from all freedom and all liberty. They are unable to change. And as a coping mechanism, they have just decided to run headlong into their life of sin. It's at this point when I'm reading, I'm saying, Lord, search my heart. Is there any way in me? This is what David said in Psalm 139, that is not pleasing unto you. Church, I would ask you to do this. In this moment, ask God to show you anything in your life that's not pleasing to him. Ask God to lead you in a way to him so that your life will become different. You see, it's possible that while you may not be succumbing to the teachings of a false teacher, you could be wandering down a path that's going to make you susceptible because your sin habits and patterns are causing you to become vulnerable. And so I think it's always good for us to allow the Spirit of God to inventory our lives, to be able to point out those things in our lives that are not pleasing to the Lord. And I would encourage you to do that. Point three. Not only do they speak and live evil, point three is they seek to intentionally influence others from the truth. Look at verse 17. Think about this. They are wells, which means they promise renewal and refreshing, but they end up having no water. They are clouds, thinking, bringing the rain, but no rain comes. They are great, verse 18 says, they speak great swelling words. They make big promises, but they end up bringing nothing of value. Verse 18, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. They tempt you to join them. Let me just stop for just a second, and I want to just confess to you, I face temptation almost every single day where Satan is trying to get me to shortcut the plans of God where he's getting me to walk on the edge of a time. And church, I just want you to know that temptation is going to be a reality in your life as long as you are alive on your path to God. Now, I pray that every day I find myself in God's Word and I let the Spirit lead that the Lord will show me this, help me to see through this temptation, not fall for these promises and this allure and this lust of the flesh, I just want to tell you that as long as I'm on this side of heaven, that's going to be a battle, Scripture teaches, that I'm going to have to walk through. And so if you're facing temptation today, if you're facing challenges today, let me just encourage you, you don't have to give in. Scripture teaches us that you do not have to give in. I think I mentioned it last week, but it's worth mentioning again. If you're facing temptation, that's not a sin. That's an opportunity to grow a sin 
It's also an opportunity to run to God and to resist and to allow him to teach you. Verse 19, they promise liberty. Another word for liberty is freedom. The scripture teaches that they only lead to corruption and bondage. You see, they cannot take you any further than they have gone. And scripture says they've already gone straight into losing their freedom. And they do all of this, catch this church from verse 13, they do all of this while among you. Scripture says that they are wearing a mask. They are living hypocritical. That's what it means to wear the mask. Verse 13, they are carousing in deception while they feast with you. Scripture teaches that they prey on particular people. You're going, okay, who are they coming after? Look at verse 14. Enticing unstable souls, those who do not yet have a grasp of the truth. They're going after those that do not know Christ to begin with. But verse 18 says that they are also coming after, look, look what it says there, verse 18. The ones who have actually escaped. Those who have been recently converted through Christ but not yet grown mature. Now, if you're in the same Sunday school material I'm in, and we talked about it this morning, you know, discipleship is about coming to know Christ and then growing with someone else and helping them help you grow in your relationship to mature in Christ. But when you first come to know Christ, you are vulnerable to the first person who comes to you to want to walk with you. And these false teachers, they're looking around. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you about selling the Brooklyn Bridge. He went looking for people who were susceptible to wanting a promise and a dream of a better life. And then he would go and sell the bridge to them because they were desiring it. And so they're seeking after particular people, those who don't yet know Jesus or those that do know Jesus but not well yet. Their aim is to help the lost stay lost and to help the new Christian remain ineffective. The most sobering thought about this point that I was making is back in verse 13, while they are with you. Church, we must watch who we allow into our lives. We must validate their intentions. We must measure them according to the truth of God's word, beginning with the gospel. You see, it matters who you have around you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so church, not only would I encourage you to just be in God's word, recognize temptation, call on the Lord, but... And then ask the Lord to show you things in your life that aren't pleasing to him. I would encourage you to ask the Lord to show you people in your life that aren't being helpful in your walk with him. Or as your grandmother would say, if you run with the dogs, you're going to get fleas. We know this, you're going to get fleas. I was just making it, that was the audience participation portion of this. Church, take time to inventory the people that you allow in your life, who the players on your team are. You see, not everybody who walks into your life is going to help you achieve the victory that Christ desires for you. 
So point one was the gospel has been shared to these people. Number two is false teachers, they don't understand. They speak evil and they live lives that show no spiritual change. Point three is they seek to intentionally influence others from the truth. And point four, they face eternal judgment. Look in verse 12. They will utterly perish in their own corruption. Verse 13. They will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Verse 14. They are accursed children. Verse 17. They are reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You see, they have no hope. Because until one believes the gospel, comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Savior, they have no hope. And Scripture tells us that that's pretty bad. But it's going to be worse for them because they knew the truth and rejected it. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where somebody gave you input? advice, the truth, and you rejected it, only to pay for not listening to them. And you go, oh, I was just so dumb. I should have listened. That somehow makes the problem that you're in worse because it was avoidable. That's how it's going to be for these individuals when they face judgment because Scripture says that they knew better. Look at verse 21. For it would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Do you notice that this scripture just took us full circle? The gospel has been shared. The false teachers don't understand and don't want to live that way. They try to drag other people into them and they will be judged because they know the truth. So the gospel has been shared. It's a cyclical life. And we just have to hope that one day in that cycle that they will turn and come to know the truth. Four quick takeaways from these verses. Number one, the things promised by false teachers, resources, plenty, allure, position, impact. Church, can I tell you that what they promise that looks so appealing, we've already been given in full by Jesus. Let me remind you of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His design power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So in order to fall prey to a false teaching, you have to have forgotten that you've already been given all and even more. And we need to add to our lives those virtues that we talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. So everything they promise, we should already have in Christ. Number two, we must pay attention to the real lives of people. Have you ever seen, you ever heard somebody say this? Don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. Just as an encouragement, do you know that there are people watching you every day? What are you showing them? Because when we watch, Scripture says that a false teacher can be known. It says you'll know them by the way that they live. 
And we owe them a debt of love to confront them on any teaching that's not biblical. James chapter 5, verse 20 says this, Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So, everything they promise, we already have in Jesus. We must pay attention to the real lives of people so that we'll know who is real and not. Number three, we must eagerly share the gospel and then effectively disciple others into maturity. Remember, we just talked about how false teachers prey on the lost and they prey on the spiritually immature. So that means that the more saved people and the more growing spiritually mature people there are, the safer the church becomes and the more effective the ministry of the church becomes. And you're going, Jeff, are you getting ready to give a commercial for Sunday school for small group Bible study? Every time I get a chance. Church, we had... One said it today, and I love they said it. They said, when we only have the opportunity to do one thing, small group or worship, we go to small group. It's that hand-to-hand, encouraging, walking with each other that is such a valuable thing. Church, you need to be connected to a small group. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 says this, For this reason, meaning that we need to share the gospel and disciple people, For this reason, since the days we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That should be our desire for one another as we walk together as the body of Christ to see each other grow to become all that Christ desires. And then the fourth point I took away is false teaching is a very addictive choice. It's hard to overcome. Verse 22, uh, have you ever, are there certain words you just don't like? Verse 22 in the New King James has a word I just don't like. It's a terrible word. I don't even like to say it, but I, I read it once already, and I'm probably getting ready to say it again. But it says here that it's hard to overcome. Verse 22 alludes to two proverbial statements, and they're actually proverbial in the fact that they come from Proverbs. They're not just things that's come through from this. It says that a dog, something's going wrong inside the dog, and the dog gives it all up just to return back to it. And you're all squinching your noses up, and you're remembering that time that you saw a dog do exactly that. And you're going, how could someone do that? But yet Scripture teaches they are so caught up in it that that seems right to them. But then it also says that like a pig who's been cleaned returns to the mire or the mud. You see, until the nature of a person has been changed through Jesus, no true life can actually occur. And then as I close, which is not a 60-second close, Zach, so I wanted to encourage you, if you've got your notes, I want to give you a little bit of homework. And I'm interested, I don't know how many people are, are prone to do homework. Kobe, I like to give homework. Kobe and I, we do things together each week and give homework. But here's homework I would encourage you to do that will make this scripture passage mean more to you. 
Verse 15, look at what it says here. It says, for they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Now, church, let me just give you a few notes for your homework here. You can read about the story of Balaam if you go to the book of Numbers, chapters 22, 23, 24, and 25, you will encounter the entire story in a nutshell of Balaam. I would encourage you to go read it. But in there, you're going to find this quick summary. Balak was scared of the children of Israel, and he was king of the country. He sent for Balaam, was a known soothsayer, to curse Israel. Balaam was willing to go, and you'll read that. He, he asked God, hey, God, they want me to curse children of Israel. What do you want me to do? Balaam wasn't a believer, and God said, don't do it. But then the king sent back more people with higher positions and more money, and Balaam went back to God again. And God said, if they come back and get you, it's okay for you to go. Not to curse, but you'll say what I say. But he didn't even wait. It says, Scripture says he got up that next morning and went to them because he took that as an opening because he was driven by what he was going to get. So Balaam went to see Balak outside of the Lord's desire. The Lord stood against Balaam on the road here. His donkey goes one way, and he beats the donkey back, and his donkey goes another way, and he beats the donkey back. And the third time, the angel of the Lord is right there. The donkey sees this, and he just sits down on the ground, and Balaam just beats the donkey to death, trying to get it to get up. And then all of a sudden, the donkey talks to him. Now, can God cause that to happen? He can. I don't have any problem believing that. And you're going, Jeff, you're a sucker. Maybe. I don't have any problem believing that. If he created them, he can cause them to do whatever he wants them to do. And the donkey says, why are you doing this to me? And he says, well, you're not doing what I want you to do. And then the Lord gives Balaam the opportunity to go, oh, there's the angel with the sword. You see, the donkey knew more about following God than Balaam did. And he tried to help. And in that moment, the Lord says, Balaam, you can go, but you only say the things I tell you. And Balaam, you'll read it. He goes, and he goes to this two and a half chapter, ends up blessing Israel three different times. And then Scripture says that he goes home. Then you can read about Balaam's death in Numbers chapter 31, verse 8. It says, They killed the five kings of Midian, and Balaam the son of Baor they also killed with the sword. All of a sudden, six chapters later after going home, Balaam is with the kings of Midian and loses his life in the judgment God has against them. So Balaam didn't stay home, nor did he stay away from Midian, King Balak, and all of the opportunity for gain. Then you can go to Joshua. I hope you're writing this down. Joshua chapter 13, verses 21 and 22 says this, The children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam the soothsayer, the soothsayer among those who were killed by them. 
And then you've got today's verse, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, that says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of righteousness. Balaam was willing to walk against God because he continually was driven by his desire for more and more and more. And then write this one passage down, this last one. It's the last mention of Balaam in God's Word. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus, through John, is writing a letter to the church at Pergamos, and Jesus says these words, But I have a few things against you, because you have there, within the church, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now, if you go back to Numbers 22, 23, 24, and 25, you're going to find that part of the story after Balaam goes home is that Israel loses their spiritual mind and starts interacting with the people of Midian. And you always wonder, well, how did that happen? Balaam. You put all this together in Scripture about Balaam. He went back and he told, he said, Black, you really want to get the people. Just distract them. Just get them involved in things that aren't godly. And Scripture talks about how God cursed Israel, killed over 24,000 people because of the beginnings of this. So Balaam was involved in challenging, in the challenging of Israel and their obedience to God through his insight and teaching to Balak. And God was judged. I mean, Balaam was judged by God. So not only are we given these points in the Bible study, we're given a real life story to show you that not just what these points are, but that the reality is also true. Now, I want to encourage you to do your homework. Study this. It's fascinating how God's Word takes something that happened in Numbers. We're talking pre-promised land and ties it in with something post-Jesus and then applies it in 2023, right here in our lives. Peter says false teachers are going to be in trouble. But he also says, church, you have a responsibility. Know the word. Be ready to share the truth. Now, Peter's not done. We've got chapter 3 to go, and there's a lot of great things in there. And I look forward to that. But church, here's the Do you know the gospel? Do you know the truth? Does your life contain habits that don't align with the gospel? Do you have people in your life that don't align with the gospel? Ask God to show you how you are to live so that you can be one who can spot false teaching, combat false teaching, and perhaps help false teachers. Amen?